black ball. Black, black, black ball. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackballed. We have a friend of the show on today, and today is going to be interesting because the Queen died today. Uh, she was 96. I, I saw some stat. I, 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 I'm trying to remember it from memory, but that she uh, she was around during like, what was it, like 12? How many prime ministers for us? I can't remember the number, but it was crazy. She's been around since JFK. Like she's she's just been around for every historical event for the last century or last half century. And I didn't know her personally. I'm not happy that she's gone or anything like that, but I'm reminded of a Christopher Hitchens quote. And I believe this was, I think he came up with this quote. Uh, it's going, I, maybe when Princess Diana died, I'm not 100% sure, but it's a timeless quote, as you will see in a second. He said, monarchy, you see, is a hereditary disease that can only be cured by fresh outbreaks of itself, which is hilarious because that's what we've experienced today. And again, I don't have anything against the queen as an individual, but her institution, let's be fair, not exactly good for a lot of people in Commonwealth countries, especially natives of Commonwealth countries, uh, First Nations people, and even the citizens uh, that benefit from, benefited from the development of Commonwealth countries. I mean, we are still to this day sending, I believe it's something like $60 million to the royal family, making them the longest running welfare family in the entire world. And here to talk to me about that and a bunch of other stuff is friend of the show, Karima Sad. Karima, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Am I being too hard? Like, I mean, I'm asking you a question where I have my own answer, but I'm going to ask you because you're you're probably pound for pound a better person than I am. Um, and, and I like to take your lead as much as I can. She died today, the queen. And, uh, you know, I, I want to be, you know, as nice as I can. But if someone were to ask me to unpack what the monarchy means to me, I would say it doesn't mean nothing to me. It means a lot of things that I think are negative. It, 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 it symbolizes colonialism. It symbolizes uh, an archaic way of doing things like a monarchy. I mean, like, can we, it, it feels like Game of Thrones. So um, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on both the Queen passing and what it symbolizes as far as the monarchy goes, as far as you're concerned. Well, I mean, I'm not one to ever celebrate death uh you know you celebrate a life and this particular life had objectively uh, many accomplishments um but i am inclined to agree with you that the reason this is a matter of significance you know is not because of who elizabeth was as a person although you know there can be respect paid to that um but it's because of her role in mm -hmm an institution that is pretty rotten. And even the crown she wore on her head 
or I don't know if this particular crown was one that she could wear without snapping her neck, but you know, the, the diamonds are stolen from other countries. And you know, it's not that. I didn't know that, it, but, but it makes perfect sense when you say yeah, it. That, like that India, um, shoot, what's it called? The Nuri something diamond. Um, mm. I forget. I, I'm not a gem person, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. She was an active participant in colonialism. Right. And, and I don't mean that kind of in a, she was around while it happened, although she was, um, but like there were rebellions that were quashed uh, under her rule, um, you know, and, and England had a prime minister. So it's not to say that she was the one directing the troops, but she obviously was a beneficiary um, of this exploitation. Um, and, and I don't, I don't really feel like that's something to celebrate. Um, I have people close to me who, love the monarchy and who are really upset today so you know that's it's it's interesting right like symbols and the way people react to that and how strongly we can be attached to them and what is this but like a form of discrimination to have what's literally you know a hereditary birthright so i think i inherently object to that um and now just kind of in the legal community, I guess we are a buzz because all these things are going to have to change from queen to king. Um, and I find yeah. that a, so, you know, that that is kind of where my head is at. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because um, first of all, the 60 million that we send there every year to me is just like, I'm like, what are we spending it on? Like, what is, is this the tithing that we have to pay um, to be a part of the part of the monarchy? And it, it essentially is, isn't it? I, I mean, I don't know. Is that our dues in the Commonwealth? I don't really know how that works. It is. Um, but, like, I will say that having, as a head of state who functionally is represented by the Governor General and sort of a, it's a political role, obviously, but it's different than having an elected head of state um, and can be sort of beneficial in the sense of, I wouldn't say neutrality, but, you know, the only interest the monarchy really has in Canada is to ensure that we do well and not sully their name. Um, so, yeah, you know, when sully. it comes to final decisions and whatnot, um, you know, the queen or now the king, uh, on the advice of the prime minister, appoints the governor general. Um, and, you know, so uh, being a constitutional monarchy like that is actually not... I think a terrible feature of our system, but unfortunately um, it comes with all the baggage that is the British monarchy. Yeah. And that's one of the things that people in this country have a problem owning. Uh, you know, the people that like the monarchy don't want to talk about their history. And the people that don't like the monarchy are often flustered because if there's two issues that I can think of off the top of my head that just make people wave their hand and say, oh, it caused a constitutional crisis. One of them is trying to stay, is trying to cut ourselves off from the monarchy completely. And the other one is to abolish the Senate. And I find both of those positions lack courage. You know? It's like, it's doable if there was the political will to do it because the constitution has in it mechanisms to allow for change. But those mechanisms require consensus that I think we're not used to getting. And you know, tradition and symbols uh, really do matter to people. I, I remember I attended an event 
in Hamilton, I think it was, um, for some kind of law society gathering. Um, and I was a bit late and I walked in and they were like reciting God Save the Queen. And I've never been, I don't think before that, in a room of people doing that. Um, and it was, it was an interesting experience. Um, and I think that, you know, so I grew up the way I did with the Queen playing a very, very, very peripheral role in my life. Um, but for others, like, that's not the case. And it was an institution that mattered um, to the family. So I think that that's kind of, there's a nostalgic element to this as well in people's reactions. Yeah, I, um, recently I had Stephen Marr, journalist on the show, and he, uh, he tweeted something today that basically was like, he was surprised to feel how he felt. And the implication was that he was sad for some reason. Um, I don't think he, people, and I like Stephen, and I'm not even like dissing him or whatever. I just found it really interesting because I don't remember feeling that way um, you know, when, when some world leader died that, um, that I didn't respect. And, and, and I just, I'm not trying to hate on this woman at all, but like really, you know, just to be redundant for a second, the institution that she represented was so historically awful. And I mean, all the way up to the present day, really, like, like there's a lot of things that the, that the UK does that is, is not cool. Like um, remember when they deported, like third generation Jamaicans just like last year or whenever that was just because of some like bill that passed that declared them to be illegal, but they had been living there for decades, you know? And, and, uh, and when, um, when William and his wife, Kate uh, are lifted and walked, you know, I, uh, sorry, I got to show, I got to impersonate it here for a second. You know, like when there's people on both sides with those things and they're, and they're seated on that thing. and A very colonial type. Uh, oh, my God. In countries with people with brown skin that are doing it. And I'm just like looking at this going. They're a little bit out of touch, you might say, with the peasants. I think so. I, I, like, I think, do they still call them serfs? Like, I mean, or I don't. In their hierarchy, you and I would definitely be serfs. So, yeah. Oh, we would be. I, I would try to be a jester, but then I would just offend the wrong guy too much. <laughs> and I would just immediately get off with my head. You know, like it would be one of those things. Um, I, I Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I hope uh, I hope that the, um, the vision of Charles on our money might be enough. You know, in get... fact, on that, I am yeah. happy to collect any bills with Queen Elizabeth's face on them. <laughs> On behalf of people and dispose of them appropriately. Um, yes, yes, yeah. I too will help the people. In fact, send it to me so I can test them first, so they're not poisoned by some fringe person, and then I will send the non-poisoned bills to you. You know, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them were poisoned. I'm just, I, I'll, I'll risk the poison. That's fine. Um, yeah, no, I don't particularly want Charles. Actually, wrestler William Regal had a tweet that. I think went viral um, and it was, is it too soon? Or, you know, are Charles's ears going to fit on the stamp or something to that effect? Um, you know, and that's low hanging fruit, right? But yeah. he can take it. He's a monarch and we'll. Yeah. That's not punching down. Like we can't even will. punch up high enough to find that. No. To, to no, make our that punches right. do not reach anything. Uh, I stole a joke off my friend who sent it to me in a text. And all he sent was uh, a gif of the Charles in charge theme music. Um, intro to that scott Bayo show charles in charge and and that's all i tweeted because 
I don't think people are like the one thing that you have to give props to Queen Elizabeth for, if you must give her props, um, is uh, is her public relations and how she was able to. Uh, how long was she monarch? How long was she queen for? Like something crazy, like seventy years. Yeah, so seventy years, right? Yeah. Um, you know, her public relations was good. Like she was able to deflect a lot of the criticism onto her kids really effectively. <laughs> Right. And um, Charles, I'm not sure really has that much. Um, I don't know how good the PR is. I mean, it's going to be good because it's a royal family member. But I mean, let's I mean, is it a good is it too soon to remind people that he thought talking dirty to his to Camilla was remember he got caught saying, oh, I wish I, I wish I was your tampon, lovey. Like it was it was literally something like that. I swear to God, oh, no. if someone in the chats can Google prince charles tampon i I know i know know. it's a crazy thing to google um yeah that's the the you know and and somehow he survived it and now and now i have great news everybody the man who thinks it's sexy to call himself a tampon he's our king well i think you've just given me a comic idea somehow is it too soon for queen comics because i have a bunch today's the best day for queen comics this is the time to do it you know there's two schools of thought on this there's always the people that are just like you have to you have to like show respect on the day that someone dies and it's like i think you do when it's your neighbor you know like like if if my name my neighbor's name is kim she's a lovely woman and, and if she died i would not go up to her sister and be like you know you know let me tell you i, I could tell you a lot about kim and it won't it's not good i would never ever do that because that would be awful <laughs> But when the head of the when the matriarch of the longest running welfare family in the world passes and their family has done so much damage, like we're talking about the we're talking about the family ancestors of King Henry the Eighth, right? Like this is Are they related? I, yeah, I guess so, right? They must the be whole right? point of the monarchy. Yeah, I think I, I guess so. I'm sure they cheated somehow and just stuck a ringer in at one point, but like, you know, but <laughs> you know, he was and, and they're German too. They have a German bloodline, from what I understand. Um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're not pure. They're not pure. Uh, they're not pure Brits, as they say. Are there but, pure Brits, or are all Brits sort of like? Aren't we all African? I don't know. Like, technically, from the Caucasia um, enclave of Africa, <laughs> is there a place called Pasty White? Because that's where I'm from. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the yeah, I'm half Italian, half Dutch. I have a bad history too. I should be hating myself. Everyone that's watching or listening to this, you have permission to trash me to death on the day that I die. I want all your jokes sent to Karima. I want Karima to turn them into cartoons and she can wallpaper her bathroom with cartoons of things mean to James because why not? I'm not going to be here. I'll be warm food. Um, let, let's, let's move on uh, because you know I, I could talk about that forever, but I'd just be saying the same shit over and over again. But moving on from that queen to this queen. <laughs> Our um, only queen now of Canada, my goodness. Yes. You know, I don't know her name because of the uh, the thing that people say instead of whatever her name is. Romana Dedulo. Dedulo. Okay. So yes. Queen Dedulo, which does sound like a Star Wars character, um, is seen seated in a lawn chair. Uh, I guess that's the convoy. Or no, that's her bus. That's her, her royal. That's the royal RV, yeah. Yeah, the and royal the, the royal trailer. Because, and Prince Dedulo is that her name? Dedulo. Yes, but it's a yes. she, yeah, not yeah, Queen. Queen. Sorry, Dedulo. Queen. Queen Dedulo 
uh, is sitting there. This is for people uh, listening instead of watching because I found out recently that most of my podcast audience are listeners. So it says, I summoned you both to protect me. And it's a picture of in the uh, <laughs> in the foreground uh, or whatever at the uh, it's it's a Hell's Angels person and, and the cop. Um, we talked about her last time and I, I can't really get enough of this because I'm still so very, very confused as to how this happened and why it's not uh, performance art. Um, I really want it to be. If, if performance it turns out art is the best case scenario at this point, for sure. And if it is, listen, I wish I was advising her because I'd be like, look, I know this was whatever it was, a, a grift of some sort, but you should totally tell people now that you were just like, you know, playing and maybe you can make it onto like, you know, a talk show or something. Imagine um, that book. I would buy that book. Yeah. Would you? It would have sardine stains on the pages probably. Um, I probably would try to find a free copy of it anyway. Yeah. So she actually, though, did, uh, she stole a signature that belonged to somebody else to sign a fake letter that's... Not just anybody else, the singer of, like, a German indie band or something. Like, the, what are they called? Tokyo Hotel? I don't know. I don't know what they say. But... I've just never seen anyone, like... Like, I, I gotta hand it to her. Like, um, I don't really know what her motive is, but... Her her staying power is is something to to marvel at, isn't it? Like, how do you talk trying to arrest the police? Well, the answer is you forge a letter from the Hell's Angels. <laughs> Where do we go from here? That is the real question. <laughs> she's she's like, I don't even want to make suggestions because in case the Queen is watching, what I think you should do is relax. <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, that was an escalation that I didn't really anticipate you could escalate from. So. Yeah. Uh, but if you had to guess, you would think that she knows that she's just fucking everyone, right? Like, like she doesn't believe. I, it could go either way. Me. Honestly, I don't know. Um, but like, I, yeah, I have to believe that in my heart. Yeah. Okay. Um, listen, uh, what's that guy's name from uh, Taxi? Andy, uh, what's or. Remember the performance artist that Jim Carrey played in the movie there? Andy Kaufman? Yes. Um, if it was like if it was an Andy Kaufman kind of situation and, and she was just pulling our chain, I would love it. But I'm a I'm worried about so many different things um because she's uh because she exists and she seems popular enough for people to walk up to her and shake her hand and be like encouraging her to keep going. And I can't tell if they are plants or if they are real or if they are mentally disturbed. I, I don't know. And I need your help. <laughs> I'm I can't account for it, but there are real people. Um, I would say when I like was with her crowd in Peterborough, um, there was a fraction who were dedicated hardcore believers. There was a fraction who were unsure about everything, but kind of wanted to believe. Um, mm -hmm. And then there was a fraction who were there just to see what, was going to happen. Yeah. Well, good luck, Queen Dulo. Sorry, I still. She's don't know been like driving around Manitoba for a while, so I can't imagine things are going super. I don't know. Nothing ever goes super when you drive around in Manitoba. Just bad things happen. Except um, for that construction worker, um, he was the best, and he was in the comic too. By the way, he was. Uh, oh, was he? Hold on. Yeah, he. She's holding a picture of. Uh, oh, wanted. It's a wanted. wanted. And then just the other little Easter egg, um, of course, is the alien. Period. Oh, 
is. Why is that? A, oh, because she said a flying saucer was going to come and get She believes that she's part alien or entirely alien. I'm not sure which. Uh, and that she is in touch with alien forces. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people think that now. Um, I, 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 uh, I was watching a... Yeah. No, check this out. This is the newest. Um, so I was watching a documentary. Is it unreported? I can't remember what it's called, but it was, it's about UFOs. And there's this whole subculture of people that um, say that they are being, uh, you know, the, the government and the intelligence agencies in the States are trying to shut them down because collectively they have found a way to use meditation to communicate with aliens. And when they gather in places to do this, that there's UFO sightings um, when, when they do it. Huh. And, um, I want it to be true <laughs> because uh, because of two reasons. One is that it would just be really cool. And the other thing is is because I, I've, been, uh, I've been going back with Jeremy Corbill, who did the uh, Bob Lazar documentary. Mm-hmm. And Bob Lazar was that guy that worked uh, in Area 51. And he uh, – sorry, I'm going to mute when I cough. And he um, – he, ha- he, he did this documentary uh, about this guy, Bob Lazar, who used to work in Area 51, who knew what, like, things were before they actually existed and claims that he worked uh, uh, in, like, a, the propulsion area of uh, in, inside Area 51, working on an actual flying saucer and stuff. It actually is really compelling. But I am very much interested in the fact that the Pentagon and the American government basically said that alien crafts exist and nobody seems to care at all. Like nobody mean? seems to care. Why yeah. isn't like when you were young? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the, the 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 footage the Pentagon released of the fighter jets chasing? See, you don't even know. And I'm not saying that has nothing to do with you. The yeah. media won't talk about it. But the Pentagon. This is not conspiracy. I know this sounds crazy, but the Pentagon admitted uh, they have footage from 2017 and 2018 of fighter pilots that uh, scrambled because they caught something on radar. And they were like flying discs, and they have was footage it like of it. Drone or something? No, like they, they were going too fast to be anything that these guys could explain. And the Pentagon admitted that these that this footage was real. And uh, since then, they've released a bunch of documents. The documents didn't really say much, but they did they did include testimony from other pilots that said that this happened and everything. And it's just one of those stories that when I was a kid, was, or even when I was in my twenties, if someone were to say. Oh yeah, um, in your lifetime, uh, we're going to find out that UFOs are real. I would imagine that that story would be everywhere all the time, and it, it, it just like every other story, it kind of cycled in and out. Um, huh. It's too bad that you don't, you haven't really read some of this because it's it's crazy. It was it was on. But like, you know, it was, is yeah, it right. that they can't explain it because they don't have that technology themselves? Because like Americans are pretty arrogant, right? Yes. Uh, what? <laughs> no, sorry, yeah. um, no, they're a little arrogant, but um, there is always obviously there's no one that has said we we uh, have proof that aliens exist, right. but they okay, did but it's describe, just unidentified crafts. Yeah, but the crafts that they the, mm-hmm. they describe they describe them as otherworldly. Um, the yeah. I guess you're right. You could say that like maybe uh, you could say that maybe the Chinese or the Russians or whoever have developed a technology. Or the Indians? What the hell? Yes. Why not? Um, the, the, the Indians, uh, you know, the good, the good people of um, the Czech Republic possibly has done something. I don't know. But, but 
the technology is so advanced that they are like, you know, it, it, it sped away. They, one of the estimations was that it sped away between 10 and 12,000 miles an hour because of the, where That's the, because the, the radar had it on lock and then it measured the speed when it left and it was just extraordinary. So I, I you know, I, I'm going to do a show with Jeremy Corbell and he's, uh, he's cool. been on Joe, Joe Rogan. He's been on a bunch of other podcasts talking about this stuff. I just want to know why no one's talking about it. And, and it's funny that someone that is so informed like yourself doesn't know about it. And that is a testament to why the, to that the media is not covering it. And, and, you know, they all did cover it for a day. Like it was everywhere. Yeah. So I'm very, uh, I must I don't have know, missed that day. Do you want it? I want aliens to exist. I don't know. I don't know. Why would they want to get in touch with us? I wouldn't. Do you think maybe that here, I'm going to, Let's let's pretend we're both stoned because I know for sure neither of us I'm are just stoned. pretending. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, shh. Um, if if I were to guess, okay, this is this is my guess of what aliens are. And then I I want your opinion too. I want I want what you think. If there's a gun to your head and someone was like, give me your theory. Um, my that's theory it. is that that's tough circumstances to give a theory on aliens, but okay, the stakes are high. Got it's it. fun, and you're stoned, so you can do it. You can retrieve it. I know you can. I think that when we see aliens, what we're seeing are human beings that have evolved over like another few million years who are traveling to see the Neanderthal version of them. So really, whenever we see an alien craft, that's just us, man, trying to find ourselves. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Yeah. What do you think, Karima? Hmm. Tough act to follow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I realize the listeners on audio are going to be like, is my thing dead? Um, I, you've clearly put a lot of thought into that theory. Like, you had I a have. finish line and everything. So I, I feel a bit under pressure. Uh, also, yeah. the gun to my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I'm anti-gun, too, so. <laughs> Yours kind of sounds like that movie um, with Matthew McConaughey, and then like, <laughs> yeah. he, like travels the aliens, back man. in time. Like that's pretty. Oh, good. I you thought you meant uh, Dazed and Confused. Um, I you meant Dazed and Confused. Uh, I, I think spooky the shit going on on a dollar bill, man. Remember? <laughs> if they show up, it's because they've come to harvest us, um, and like oh. not probably for organs, but like for labor. Um, that's what I think uh, the aliens will be in the same way that we saw colonization with sort of Europe spreading like a disease across the globe. Uh, that's what I picture. Is that because aliens are depicted at... That's not an explanation. That's just what would happen. Is that because aliens are often depicted as white? So you just automatically think we're colon- they're colonialists? Is that... Because that'd be fair. The track record is bad. I'm just saying. That's <laughs> true. Maybe they're white because they never get out of the spaceship. You know, like they're translucent, which is, you know, that could be unity, right? Uh, could be. Yeah, yeah, like a prism. I heard something when I was a kid um, that I never found out if it was true or not, where if you combine all of the colors of the universe, you get white. I think, yeah, like a prism, right? Like the, is it Pink Floyd where they have the, and then the you rainbow white, comes really? through? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know if that like works with paint or anything. I, I've never done that. I've never done that either. Something to do, though, for the weekend. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. 
And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um, okay, so let's move on. I think they all make brown, which is its own metaphor. That's true. Well, we're all African. I lo- I love the fact that we're all African, but none of us have gotten really the test to find out what part of our DNA comes from Africa. Did you get it? No, I don't. I don't even really understand what that means. Like, we're all. African. They think that all human life uh, started in Africa, and then we uh, uh, we traveled to our own places after that. So, <clears throat> I don't know if Gaia was still intact. I'm not Gaia. Uh, Pangea. Pangea mm-hmm. is what they used to call all the continents when they were still stuck together. But apparently, yeah, we're all from Africa. And uh, and all the tribes just sort of like scattered their own way. But that's originally where we came from. And then you can get like a, a genetics test to find out what part of Africa your ancestors came from. They're just harvesting your DNA. If anyone is out there right. listening right. to this, they harvest and sell your DNA. Don't do ancestry tests. It's not so, Sounds a little QAnon-ish, but really, they like what are it's they doing fact. with your DNA? Selling it to police. Um, really? Yeah. Or okay. to like, like other companies, right? I don't know if they actually sell it to police or they just give it to police as a gift. I don't know how that works. Um, I know. I know. There's yeah. like bounty hunter people that go and um, do police work uh, by utilizing the DNA data bank of some of these uh, family tree ancestry things. And they've solved cases. Yes, that, that's what I mean. I don't mean to sound dramatic about it. Um, mm-hmm. But like that, that's that's exactly what they do. And, Should they like, be they thrown also, out? Should me. those types of cases be thrown out? I, I mean, it's not like it's a public institution that's collecting the information. But what can also happen is if enough of your family members take it, like you're effectively kind of exposed. Um, I'm not like mm. into the science aspect of this. Um, I say this based on a, a talk I was at at a criminal lawyers association, um, like one of their meetings. And I found it really like it was about technology. Um, mm. And I proceeded to not look into any of these things because it's quite disturbing. Yeah. Uh, my favorite OJ conspiracy theory is that he was just covering for his son because it explains because it explains the DNA, explains the Simpsons DNA, explains the gloves. And little known fact, uh, Jason Simpson was supposed to be at work that night and he wasn't. And he's a chef and he has his own knife set. So just food for thought in case anyone thought OJ um, might be innocent of all. took a turn somewhere. Um, okay let's Let's go back to uh to your cartoons okay here's the next one um this election is in the bag now this was interesting because 
It has to do with uh, there's people tweeting, openly tweeting. Um, Pierre probably have supporters tweeting about, oh, I haven't seen uh, this many bundles of ballots in a long time. This is great. I didn't understand what they were getting at. Um, you made a cartoon about it because, uh, and you asked a very good question: Is the system itself kind of poisoned, or, or are people a little bit concerned about the, um, you know, the likelihood of a clean leadership uh, race being decided because of all these talks about bundles of ballots? What did you mean by that? Because I wasn't really following the story all that. Much. Sure. Um, so, uh, like full disclosure, I've never voted in a leadership race, and I've since come to learn that a couple of other candidates um, have been doing the same, although to a less obnoxious extent on social media and with more careful wording. Um, mm. So what I found, like, so the, the way that, I don't know, they have ranked ballots or some shit. Um, and then if you are a party member and you've properly registered, um, you get sort of an envelope, um, which contains your ballot. And then I, I believe it's an envelope you put your ballot into and then you need to provide a piece of ID. And then there's like another envelope that everything goes in. So it's like there's security, right? But it's personal information. Um, and, and then that's tallied. So in, in this particular case, um, current MP, um, Jasraj Hallen, he took a photo of himself with, you know, a, a bundle of these, these ballots um, and said something to the effect of, you know, so much support for Pierre Polyev, implying that he knew what was in the ballots, um, which, you know, could be explained away as, well, I got it from one of our rallies. So presumably everyone here is voting and maybe he doesn't actually know. But it kind of opens like it's just it's just I think the optics of it suck. Um, and apparently it's not that uncommon. And, you know, either at rallies or like other events, I guess, or like people associated with the campaign will collect it to make it easy for people itself. I think it's like return postage is included, but maybe if you can't get to a mailbox, I don't know. So apparently it's not like inherently nefarious. Um, mm. But I think the optics suck, uh, especially given Polyev's record with uh, election yeah. best practices. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, I just, I thought it was a funny concept. Um, and no, it's, I think it's great. I think it's um, it's indicative of a lot of things. And one of the things, and I, I harp on this a lot, is uh, is how polling doesn't reflect opinion; it shapes it. And I saw it happen in um, in the provincial election last time, mm-hmm. where for months it was being described as a cakewalk, cakewalk for Doug Ford. Yeah. And for me, that explains virtually all of the voter turnout being as bad as it was. Like I don't want to. I don't want to give a pass to the typical um, lazy group of people that don't vote. And to be perfectly honest with you, um, the, the, the voting turnout, uh, the voter turnout between the ages of like 19 and 32 is abysmal. Um, it could be abysmal because they just don't feel like they have a voice, whatever the reason is that they are by far the lowest voting group. Um, but I think that uh, 33%, I think it was uh, the last provincial election was so low that I, I, the only thing that I can use to explain it is the fact that everyone thought it was a cakewalk and no one bothered to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see that happening in this leadership race too, with the media basically giving this guy a coronation over the last six months or five months, whatever it's been. Yeah, and, it's been weird. He gets talked about a lot. Yeah, he gets, and you can't. This is a very uh, Trumpian process for Pierre Polyev because 
one of the things that was impressive about Trump's campaign, other than the fact that he convinced half the country to vote for a, vote, a rodeo clown, is that um, he, he didn't spend a lot of money on his campaign and he was getting more media than any of the other candidates. And largely, a lot of people largely credit a big chunk of his victory to the fact that he got more press than anybody else did. And the press wasn't even good press, a lot of it, most of it, but it was press. Uh, are we seeing that with Polyev as well, do you think, in this country? I think it's, I mean, I don't really hear much about Jean Charest. I don't hear much about Scott, uh, what is it, a- a- Akinson? A- Atkinson? See, I can't uh, even say his name. Yeah, um, the barber. Um, I, I hear a, a bit about Leslyn Lewis, um, you know, and her sort of outlandish views and a bit, maybe less to a lesser extent about Roman Baber. No one seems to cover him. Um, but Pierre Polyev in the news every single day. Yeah. He's very effective at that. And, and it's interesting as well because his sort of campaign is premised on don't trust the news and I'm going to defund CBC. And so he has this adversarial role with media and because he appeals to kind of a contrarian crowd, like they see that as a strength. Um, that's kind of how I interpret what he does and the way that he's responded to certain media requests or distanced or not distanced himself, you know, from elements. Yeah. Um, do you think that, do you think that he will govern? Okay. So the, if he wins, so, so I used to think that, um, well, I used to know that the conservatives during the leadership campaign, they placated to the far right. And then when it came to the general election, they attempted to placate to a more center right. And now we have Polyev, who's clearly catering to the far right. I think he's going to, to continue to cater to them during the election. And if he wins, that then it becomes the, then the real question becomes will he govern from that far right position or will that be where he makes the sort of uh backtracking to a center right thing because maybe governing from the from the far right isn't really feasible long term maybe he, uh you know there's a strategist also, in the room yeah go ahead he doesn't care about what they want right like he's going to ally with I mean, yeah. whoever to get power like that's what he's after quite clearly um and is it possible to win an election in a country like Canada uh, and the way that our voting system works if the majority of people are disinterested and feel disenfranchised and your nutsos go vote yeah like yeah. is his group the same group as the PPC mm, not really right like I don't think that they, there's overlap, but, you know, I I don't know how many PPC defect to Pierre or like, I'm not sure. Um, Like that's, it's all, if they were to fuse, um, you know, they would eventually implode, I'm sure. But is that enough to, because I would see it as a two prong strategy, like bully or disincentivize others to not vote and then get your people to vote. But it's hard because we have like the way that writings work right and, and you have to elect the whole like it's just whoever wins the most seats um do you think I, I, some of these questions are these are nothing that we discussed that we were going to talk about or anything but i i'm just curious because you're you're talking about it now and i 
I'm of the mind that um, that the liberals would win handily in the next election if Trudeau resigned and they elected the new leader, whether that leader would be like a Christia, Christia Freeland or a Mark Carney, which seems to be the two names that pop up the most. Um, do you think, you know, do you think that would be something that uh, the the liberals are even contemplating right now? There's no way for you to know that, but just your personal thoughts on, on what you think about Trudeau being in the next election versus not. He's just so polarizing, right? Like, I mean, it's, I feel like he gets scapegoated, but also, you know, has stuff to criticize. Um, I would be tired if I were him. Like, would he want to run again? Like, that's got to be the mental toll of that. Um, yeah. That can't be easy. No, it can't. Um, he's been in there for seven years. Um, and he could conceivably call an election not for another couple of years, right? I think it's two and a half years or something. 2025, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, by the time that rolls around, that'll be 10 years that he'll be in office for, which is yeah. only one year less than Harper. And, and it felt like like the Harper years, I don't know if you recall, they dragged on for so long. Like it, it felt that, and a lot, so much happened during the Harper years too. I, and that it was, you know, uh, and people got, after the Senate scandal especially, got Harper government fatigue. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people, um, I think not as many, but I think some people, uh, clearly the far right have Justin Trudeau fatigue. I have Trudeau fatigue because I'm just, I, I'm kind of of the mind now, like, even if he means well, and I don't think he does all the time, the things that pissed me off about Trudeau were, were a lot of them were at the beginning, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't like that he made it seem like he couldn't get out of that Saudi arms deal, for example. You know, um, I loved that uh, Michael D'Adder political cartoon that you may remember where it's him driving in a Humvee because the Humvees are kind of the, the main thing that they sold to the Saudis. And it runs over a, a female Saudi protester with a sign that said human rights while Justin Trudeau says, I'm a feminist, right? So, you know, it, 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 it may seem cheap, uh, but I thought it was a good point. I, I think that if you're principled, and especially if you're a guy like Trudeau and you're kind of like running on your virtues, you're running on social justice, you're running on a lot of those things because you wanted to outflank the NDP, whatever, so that's what you ran on. And then you can't cancel a deal with the most brutally misogynistic regime maybe on the planet. Um, you know, and so I was tired of him a long time ago. So I, I think uh, I think that the liberals would be best served to 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 convince him not to run and, and to put someone like a Freeland up. But you know, that's just me. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I I know. Um. Okay, moving on because I want to get this last cartoon in as well. <clears throat> this one, this one looks like me uh, in a hospital bed. <laughs> And it, it has a uh, yeah. no, I know, but it has a smile. The nose isn't big. We're all supposed <clears throat> to see ourselves in that person. Actually. It's true. It's everything is Rorschach, right? Um, but the uh, the it, it's Ford standing over a man in a hospital bed, spinning a wheel, and the wheel has things like um, L. What is that? What's an LTC? Uh, long term care. Long term care of your choice per night, fifteen hundred. So the implication is sort of like the incremental privatization of our healthcare system. Is that is that sort of the idea? Yeah, so there's a bill, Bill Seven, um, mm -hmm. which, and actually, I don't, I don't know if it's fully been rammed through or where it sits. Um, basically, if someone's taking up a hospital bed, 
right? Taking up a hospital bed. Um, in the current system, uh, if, if they're going to need sort of longer term care, um, they can, you know, put a list of homes that they want to be moved to and then wait for a spot to open up and then they're in the hospital until then, right? Because they need that level of, of care. Um, what Bill 7 purports to do is allow for forcible transfers, right? Where someone could have the ability to say no, but it's going to cost them then per night to keep using that bed. Um, and, you know, it's not a question of beggars can't be choosers. It's that homes may not be culturally appropriate or geographically convenient for a family, right? Like there's reasons why someone would have a preference on where they go. And this basically strong arms people into either paying out of pocket, which for most is going to be completely unaffordable, um, or we're just going to ship grandma here. Yeah. Is it, is, are they saying that people now fall into certain categories? And then certain facilities fall like are, are no. So, so no? like when you're choosing your list of selected like LTCs, right. And this mm -hmm. is what I understand having sort of research in order to create this comment, but I'm not an expert on this. Um, some homes have better reputations than others, right. For mm -hmm. obvious reasons, given what we saw during the pandemic. So yeah. what this means is the home that everyone wants because it's good is full. And rather than you being able to wait for a spot to open up there, too bad, so sad, we are going to put you in this other home where people died of thirst because no one attended to them. And like, it happens to be six hours away from where your family lives, you know, tough cookies. And what does that actually do? That a couple of things, right? Um, it moves sort of the issue of, oh, no, there's not hospital beds, which people, you know, should care more about. But at least there's kind of a, yeah, we definitely do hospital beds to LTC problem, which like no one really cares about. Right. Because um, we mm -hmm. seemingly can't think that far ahead. Um, so like on one level, it's politically expedient because it moves a problem out of sight and kind of effectively sweeps it under the rug. And then from a pragmatic side, um, you know, these homes that no one wanted to go to and now people are being forced, well, they're going to start making the money for having their beds occupied where otherwise it might have sat empty. And who is, you know, at the head of these organizations? Huh, there seems to be some overlap with lobbyists to the Ford government or former premier uh, Mike Harris, right? So like it's also serving the purpose of funneling money to these homes. Um, so that, that's how I see it. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the long-term care issue is something that um, since the beginning of this pandemic, obviously has been like, you know, um, horrible to witness. Like, you know, first of all, with all the deaths during the pandemic, but then when you start to look under the hood, I have a source that I'm working with right now. It's so preliminary that I'm not going to mention um, the, long-term care facilities name but uh, they haven't been inspected in like three decades um they fall in this weird category they're in hamilton and they fall into this weird category that doesn't seem to like um 
uh, you know, uh, be it's it's not scrutinized by uh, through government inspections because it's designated like this, even though they provide all of the care that make it more like some other category. I I, I don't want to really try to even talk about it. It's so complex. <clears throat> I I've asked this person to like, can you send me something that a, a five year old can understand? <laughs> and she sends something to me, and it's like it's got like blueprints, and it's in three D. Like I just can't figure it out. Um, but but I'm slowly learning about it. And it's heinous, and it just sounds like um, it, it needs to rely on government corruption in order to to, to uh, keep falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And um, the the two things: the, the privatization or the semi-privatization of long-term care facilities. You cannot have a profit motive when 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 housing the elderly. Unless your profit is attached. How do we even have to say that in our like, I know. Like, Doesn't it sound weird? Like, what a collection of words together. Yeah. What a collection uh, of words. The profit motive in healthcare makes me think of the Hunger Games. You know, like it, it makes me think of a dystopian kind of future. I, uh, <clears throat> you know, you look at the stats in the States. It's always really interesting to talk to a conservative about healthcare because, um, the typical line is in Canada, wait times are awful. Uh, it's great to be uh, have universal health care until you get sick. And I kind of get those arguments in like a, you know, in a certain way. I think they, they take it too far. But in the States, it's like, sure, you got the Mayo Clinic and body scan, scanners and shit like that. But like people literally lose their homes and go bankrupt because they need to get an operation. And um, if you have money, then you're fine. And if you don't, then you're screwed. And we are, for some reason, emulating that concept in Canada. And I think everyone should be really worried about this. Yeah, it's the people who already have money and stand to make more money who are like, this sounds like a great idea. Yeah. That's what it is. And it's because we have a disconnect between the populace and our so-called leaders. And, you know, the public interest or the public good seems to be the last thing on anyone's mind. You know, uh, I remember hearing, um, I think it was Bill Maher actually talking about, uh, like years and years ago, talking about how we never include in, in any type of healthcare system a preventative strategy. You know, like like yeah. it, we wait till we're sick and then we go and we try to fix ourselves, but we never really try to prevent ourselves from becoming sick. This, like the United States is a great example with obesity and diabetes and all that kind of stuff. Um, how much is our mental health, how much of a role theoretically does that play in our physical health because that's another thing to me that seems to be you know people talk about how prayer can can help people um become better and while i don't really believe in prayer i think what they mean though is just like a positive approach and 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 serotonins and and good vibes can help a person and meditation and things like that can help a person um, have the uh, the right underpinnings of a person who then can become more healthy. I think that's a fair. Is that too woo woo or something? Because no, that's no, about I as woo woo uh, as I get. Of course, our yeah. minds are connected to our bodies and vice versa, so that makes sense. But like, you know, preventative costs money in the now, and kind of there's an aversion to that for whatever reason, and dealing with it the way we currently do, you know, there's, again, people who stand to profit. Um, and it's sort of like our criminal justice system. It would be a lot cheaper to address the social determinants of 
crime, which, you know, include poverty, include mental health, um, include sort of lack of funding for arts and culture, all sorts of things. Um, but instead, there's like a billion dollar industry in having jails and guards and probation officers and criminal defense lawyers and crown attorneys and all that, right? Like, so I don't think it's it's just I, I see sort of similarities to that in the way we deal with healthcare, where you know there's money to be made, and also it feels more expensive, even though it's actually not, um, to do good for people so that bad doesn't happen to them. Yeah, I have a friend that works in um, in the current uh, Ontario Health Minister's office. Um, he's not like a staffer. He's more like, uh, I don't know what you would call him. It's kind of a bureaucrat, but like he, he's been working in the health system for a long time. He knows what he's doing. And I think he's there to try to find, um, efficiencies, uh, um, while at the same time utilizing new tech. So he wears a, a bunch of hats, right? But he knows, he knows what he's talking about. And when he was telling me the cost of our health system, the number one cost that he um, cited was admin costs. And then he was like, do you know what makes the admin costs so costly? And I was like, no, he's like our need for private to, for keeping our health, our medical records private. Huh. That's why we're like mailing things. That's why like the only pre people on the planet that want to fax these days are, are usually doctors. Huh. Um, and, and how, because our system is all built around this privacy concept that is what makes it so expensive. And and I, I think that a lot of people would be surprised to find out that you can get your results emailed to you now. You don't need to get a fax anymore. You don't need to like wait for a doctor to call you to tell you what the results were. You just have to sign up. And I forget what it's called, which isn't really helpful, but I'll, I'll remember it for my next podcast. But I, I did this when I went to get my shoulder done just a few months ago. And I was like, look, I, I don't want to drive to Pembroke every time I need to get results. So is there an option for me? Cause someone told me and they're like, yeah, I had the results before I drove home. Wow. And my family doctor didn't have it. I was the one that gave the results to my family doctor from the wow. specialist that he referred me to. And you know what the thing is, they don't want us to use it. And it's not the government. It's the doctors themselves because it will like basically increase their workload. They said like, like a ton. And I was confused by that. Because it's like, you know, you don't have to actually fax anything. <laughs> you know, you just have to click some buttons. But <clears throat> apparently to make that move, to transfer from hmm. the way it is for most people to an email kind of digital system, um, it would cost like billions of dollars. So we've kind of like painted ourselves into a corner uh, with, with the way that we handle healthcare, And I think it's all to do. I don't care if people have my medical records, you know, like, I don't know. What can they do with it? Except find out that... My middle two toes are webbed. They are. I know. I can't even swim that well. <laughs> it's really weird. If I'd be a wrestler, I'd be some sort of frog character, you know? I have no idea. All right. I'm not going to get stoned before I talk to you again, Karima, because um, I've made you pause too many times. <laughs> no, that was, I, I feel like I reflected, you know, on things you that I you may did. otherwise not have thought about. So thank you. What does your shirt say? It says happy Rusev day. So, What's Rusev? Rusev is a, a wrestler from, I think he's Bulgarian. Um, and like his sort of, his concept in, in when he was with the WWE was 
you know, every day is Rusev day and he would like wish people a happy Rusev day because he's like a positive, self-affirming kind of guy. Oh, so, you know, it, it uh, may be a dark day for some, but I wanted to, it's a reminder also happy Rusev day. Now, if I was a wrestling villain, okay. Um, you know, you know, wrestling reminds me of the slam dunk contest in the NBA. Um, because in the slam dunk contest, like back in the day, there was Jordan and he went from the foul line and then people had to get more creative. So I think it was like, um, Cedric Sabalas dunked with his blindfold on and D Brown pumped up his Reebok pumps and dunked. And then Vince Carter did cool shit that no one saw before. And like, you always have to do the finishing move for a wrestling villain. Okay. So the guy's laid out, right? He's like, he's unconscious or something in the middle of the ring and you're about to do your, your finishing move. My finishing move would have, well, I would just get my wife to come out to nag him <laughs> until he tapped out. Like, <laughs> he just couldn't take it. <laughs> and he just taps out. It's funny to me because she's awful. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I was mad before. You could have the podcast. a ringside. Like, she could be your manager, right? Like, have her no, ringside. No. Then like I would lose every, I would lose every match because I would feel her doubt. That's a yeah. fun dynamic where, you know, they come and they're supposed to help, but then they foil it every time. Um, so you could be one of those dysfunctional. Yeah, I could. All right. I'll stop taking out my anger on, on, on my wife. <clears throat> um, that was fun because, you know what? It's been a really tough go lately for me um, with cults. Like I, I was telling someone, yeah, like two weeks ago, I was trying to take a break from stressful podcasts, so I had a war expert on, um, <laughs> you know, urban warfare specialist, right? Uh, you know, uh, what else? And then I, then I had a trans activist on, you know, and I was like, that was a very interesting podcast. That was actually a really interesting podcast, um, you know, and it was all these stressful podcasts, but it was like, you know, I needed a break from the cult, and then now I'm going to get back into the cult stuff again. But I wanted to have you on because um, it's a lot of fun. I feel like I can be myself with you, and I really enjoy that part of, Thanks, of talking to you. Was this and, more uh, or less stressful than the war expert? Oh, you you're always like la- the only thing that makes me stressed out when I have you on is when uh, you know if I did what I decided to do today was to like I needed to like alleviate stress, so I, I ate an edible before <laughs> before the show. Um, it's just the pauses after I make a joke. Like, it just doesn't feel good. Like, I feel like I have to, like, rewind and tell a different joke, you know? Oh, like, no, I, you- I am just not a loud laugher. I smile. So for everyone just- who's listening, I'm smiling. Yeah, she was <laughs> smiling, guys. That six-second pause after my joke means nothing, okay? <laughs> that um, okay, well, listen, um, we'll have you on again in a couple of weeks. You Are you putting out, like, a cartoon a week now? Or is that what you've been always doing? just depends on the creative juices and how they're flowing and there was a couple of things going on this week but we'll see well i think that's what we should do every couple weeks is like anytime you have uh, a new little batch of cartoons we should have you on and those will be the issues that we talk about because i think you always nail it i think that you're you're always very current and um and people really love you and i love you and um you know i want to have you on as often as possible because it makes me look like a like a good person you know I see. I was smiling, and then I laughed at the. Apartment. I know that was great. The benefit now, of the listeners, thank you. Yes, and examining it like that also just makes me look really cool, right? So, Kareem <laughs> <laughs> Sat, thank you so much again. Bye, and we'll see you next time. Um, always a pleasure to have Kareem on. Um, you know, weed's legal, and you know, Lachlan drinks all the time on the Dean Blundell show, so I can't. You know, I should be able to get stoned before my show if I'm really stressed out. 
because of the Monty Hall streamers that were put up without me knowing 10 seconds before I went on air. <clears throat> and I had to figure out if I was going to tell a Monty Hall joke or if I was going to whatever. Um, and the reason why it's up, by the way, is because it says happy birthday. If you guys recall, the last time I had these up, it was for my daughter's birthday. But then we all got COVID. So her birthday party was canceled. And so now on Saturday... We're going to try again, and we're going to have a birthday party for my daughter, who turned six about a month ago. Um, yeah, she's awesome. And so she deserves it because she's my baby. And that's it for me, guys. Uh, tomorrow, we have Rob Kaviklian on doing another Heinous Cases episode. And this time, we're going to do a deep dive. Last time we did Carla Hamalka, it was a little disorganized, admittedly, and uh, the the audio was bad. But this time... I think you guys are going to really like it. We're going to do a deep dive into Paul Bernardo, and we're going to start at the beginning uh, when he was, um, <clears throat> you know, running around Scarborough, victimizing women, and the fact that the police basically could have could have had him. They had him in for questioning, I think, multiple times, uh, but they never did arrest them. They, you know, and I'm not trying to throw the police under the bus. I, I don't know the circumstances as, as to why they could or couldn't hold him or whatever. Uh, but he did go on to kill three people, including his sister after that. So, um, you know, but Rockaviklian, amazing lawyer, uh, really brilliant guy. Like, it's so funny because he's uh, I joke around with him all the time and about him all the time. But he's a really brilliant guy. And he's one of those lawyers that isn't like a lawyer's lawyer. You know, like he's, uh, you know, he's sort of like a little rebellious as far as the law community goes. And he knows his shit. Um, so I can't wait to talk to him tomorrow. And we will see you next time. Thanks everybody in the chat. I appreciate you guys being here, but we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.